Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, listeners, I'm pleased to present yet another wonderful show with one of my favorite guests and great inspiration and guide for many, many years dating back to when I was a professional triathlete. It's Dr. Phil Maffetone. And guess what? Of course, we aspire to talk about the usual uh, talking points of endurance peak performance and the great marathoner Kipchoga, who was almost making Maffetone's crazy prediction of a 159 marathon come true. He wrote a book of that title, 159, uh, many years ago while the record was still up at 203, 204, and so all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. But instead, we took an entire show to focus on the big picture items like the ills of modern society and flawed and manipulative mainstream media and dated conventional wisdom that's caused so much pain and suffering and health disturbances and how even people pursuing endurance goals might not be doing it in a healthy manner. He was one of the first people to call attention to the distinction between fitness and health. And I think you're going to love this show. Sets up for another, a second wonderful recording that we did that was focused on training, peak performance, especially some great insights about strength training. But here, we kind of set you up to take matters of health into your own hands, eliminate this disturbing disease triad, which is excess body fat causing chronic inflammation, carbohydrate intolerance, and insulin resistance. And following those three conditions, we get all manner of disease and dysfunction, some checkpoints and uh, goals you can aspire to, like measuring your waist and hoping that it's uh, less than half of your height. We want to make sure to avoid the uh, accumulation of excess body fat around the midsection. Uh, Pretty simple Uh, non-scientific, well, very scientifically validated, but not needing to go pay expensive uh, blood work or see a different assortment of physicians. How to think critically and disengage from the cookie-cutter approach that we often see, especially in the fitness scene and especially in the medical care scene. So, fun stuff from Dr. Phil Maffetone. Enjoy. And yes, we will have him back on for shows that are dedicated to fitness, endurance training, peak performance. Thanks for listening. Start rolling, man. We're not going to, we're not going to edit you. We're not going to edit you. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. I'm, you know, I, even in this, in this media, we, we have to, uh, for, for, for listeners and for us, you, you and, and me, um, we need to we need to differentiate our our opinion from you know making factual statements um you know if 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 i say sugar's bad that's not my opinion there's a consensus about that there's a consensus about junk food there's a consensus about beating your body up when you're training <clears throat> for uh a marathon or or a triathlon um and and there's you know there's this there's this weird thing that that people don't accept facts they think everything's an opinion um and, and then it sometimes it drifts over to religion because you know science is all one big question mark and one bi- everything's a theory there's no there's no facts and and uh, you know then it'll get into philosophy and well what's it's it's tough because you can you can draw upon science to make your point whatever your point is and that confuses me as a non-scientist and then i have to always bring in especially when it comes to the the fitness realm you know i have i have a long personal experience with uh training at an unregulated heart rate and getting injured and then going back and reading the magazine saying that you know, high intensity workouts develop, develop fitness faster than, than the slower ones. So you should do only those and all this stuff that's, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't jibe well with common sense. So it's, 
There's no, there's no hard and fast rule to just say, show me the science, which a lot of people say. And I'm like, okay, I'll show you some stupid science that's never worked and zero elite athletes have ever followed this. Uh, then we're back to kind of uh, the, the he said, she said type of strategy. Right. It gets, it gets to be emotional. And, um, and, and you, what you mentioned is, <clears throat> is really great because y- you mentioned experience. And experience is a very valuable lesson. Um, and I often use experience, you know, that's, that's in particular clinical experience. So here, you know, here's what I found when I was in, in practice, I was seeing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of athletes. Here's what I found, you know, a a high percent of them, uh, did this when that happened. And, you know, well, that's, that's a, a, a very valuable bit of experience. Uh, we have to, we have to take that and do something with it. Does it correspond to some scientific study or is there a logic behind, can you explain it scientifically um, or not? And, and so it, you know, it's all, it's all tied together. It, It all comes down to simply that we're all individuals. And although we have an awful lot in common, we all have five fingers and five toes and, five fingers on the other side and five toes on the other side. But, um, we, we, you know, we want to personalize our journey in life. Otherwise it's pretty boring and, and then it's hit and miss. We want to personalize our, our journey. And that's, that's what I'm all about helping people do that. That's what MAF is. It's it's not a program. It's a a way to personalize your journey of life in a way that you continually build health and fitness. Um, it's a pretty good deal, but it's also it's also weird. It's all it's all um, it, it it's it's so different because in our society everything is cookbook. Everything is. Oh, you want to run a marathon? You you got to run a hundred miles a week. Oh, you want to you want to get strong? You've got to go to the gym and uh, watch yourself in the mirror, and it's got to hurt. You want to do that? Okay, here here's the cookbook. You want to lose weight? You do that. I wish it was that easy. Then I wouldn't have to do all this crazy stuff. Why do we? look for that type of solution just so we don't have to think as much? Yes, that is exactly the reason. And, you know, years, decades ago, um, and and this goes back, you know, to early in, in, in history. It goes back to um, how dictators were able to do what they did. But, you know, in the 50s, the, the marketing boom came about in part because psychologists saw this interesting relationship with how people decide how they're going to choose something, you know, how are they going to decide about buying a car? How are they going to decide about um, buying this food product? And what they showed was that there are two, two ways that our, our brain works. One is it, is an instant gratification, a simple uh, got you kind of thing. Um, Brad, if you want to lose 10 pounds in one week, here's the answer. And that's exactly what everyone, not everyone, but that's exactly what a lot of people listening want to know. Oh, now I've got their attention. They don't think about what is it involved? Is it real? Can it? Can you really do that? Um, they just—it's—it's it's the sizzle. They they buy the sizzle, not the steak. To to quote an old marketing person, um, and and that that instant gratification, that quick fix, is a reaction by our brain. It's more of an amphibian brain response. Um, you know, we see a bug and we grab it. We don't think about it, you know, Hey, that bug, it's kind of green. I wonder if it's not ready to eat yet. You know, no, we just grab it. 
and run. And the problem with that is that there are cognitive errors associated with that mentality, but it's, it's the way people buy stuff. It's the way people attach themselves to exercise programs, to, uh, to diet styles, to philosophy. You know, it's the other way we use our brains is, is, um, is an analytical way where we, we think, okay, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in one week. Let's see, what am I going to have to do? Let, let me see what it says about the foods I'm going to have to eat and the foods I'm not going to have to eat. And how, how am I going to be able to do that? I have to bring, I have to bring my food to work. You know, and, and you go on and on and you think about this for a while, sometimes days. And, uh, and then you conclude that th- this, this doesn't make any sense. Or you conclude, you know, let's, let's give this a try. Um, and people don't respond that way. And one of the one of the problems I've always had, it began early in my practice when I recognized it, is that people would come in and say, "Well, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting uh, too much body fat. I don't understand. I'm training even more. Uh, blah blah blah." And and I talk about burning fat calories and sugar calories and uh, and how uh, carbohydrates uh, increase in, uh, insulin, and that impairs, you know, and just, and then they'll say, "Well, well, my 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 friend, uh, he just went on a low fat, low calorie diet and lost lost weight." And it's, you know, and I and I'm thinking, God, I just I just poured my intellectual heart out to this patient to help them understand how they could be healthier. And they didn't hear a word I said. All they know is that their friend went on a low calorie, low fat diet. And, um, you know, so, so that, that, and, and I've seen it in, in writing. I've seen, you know, I mean, back way, way back, you remember my my early articles, my first book, you know, a, a lot of those things were, here's how you do it. And there was not a lot of, not too much explanation, not not a lot of science behind. And I got into writing science as, as time went on because I thought people wanted that. I enjoyed it. Um, and and it, it, it almost made things worse. Um, you know, you read a whole book about um, you know, how to run a 159 marathon and, and you say, yeah, but my, 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 you know, my friend knows a guy who, uh, always runs under three hours in Boston and he, he eats a lot of junk. Where in the world does that come from? So, so it sounds like we're, we're bouncing back and forth between this this reptilian brain that's not uh, high, highly functioning, and then we're going into analytical, and then jumping back to these random conclusions that that kind of negate how you you poured your heart out to the patient. Is that what's yeah, going on? Yeah, it goes it goes back and forth. In in psychology, it's called system one and system two thinking, um, and it's been applied to um, economics. And there've been two Nobel prizes, prizes won for uh, both those those um, ideas. Um, and I just actually submitted uh, an opinion paper to uh, with my friend Paul Larson to um, uh, one of the big public health journals to say, "Hey, this is one of the big problems we have in our society, and we wonder why we can't." Keep up with healthcare expenditures. We wonder why ninety-one percent of Americans are overfat. We wonder why eighty percent of Indians are overfat. And and here is the 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 one of the big problems is is how companies are allowed to convince us to be unhealthy. And um, you know, with the recommendation that hey, we need to do something about this on a public health level. Because we've done things in the past that have succeeded. You know, most people wear seatbelts today. 
it's it's an automatic thing. We've we've taken that system one mechanism, and as reptilian as it is, it it can be used for for benefits because now when we get in our car, we put on our seatbelt. Even they, even the 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 movie people, um, you know, show you that. Um, uh, you know, uh, we 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 brush our teeth. We um, we wash our hands. You know, these are these are examples of public health activities that have been very successful in in preventing uh, serious health problems, and uh, yet we don't use them for the bigger things, the common sense things like um, um, here here's some junk food. This is so good you can give it to your baby. You know, so it, it, it's it's really uh, unfortunate. And in sports, if if uh, if that's what we're supposed to be talking about, <laughs> uh, it's it's used the same way. It's used by magazines. You know, run your best 10k in in three weeks of training. Um, uh, it, it, it's entertainment. It's emotion. It's the sizzle, and you got to get to the steak. Whew. But then when we get to the steak and you're reasoning with this patient for, for 30 minutes, uh, what's, the, what's the magic formula to trip them, into, to trip them out of that, uh, that, that sizzle brain that will go down, down to the parking lot and talk to someone else and, and change their mind completely and, and uh, depart from uh, whatever best laid plan? Good question. I think you have to grab them with both your hands really hard and shake them. And just keep shaking them until they, no, only kidding, partially. Um, you know, well, as an author, I mean, that could be a writing strategy in, in on a serious note, where you you come out swinging, uh, you know, with with the with the uh, the gloves off. Um, it, it might be a necessary strategy, just like we got started talking on the show. Um, you know, not nice and polite might not fly when your uh, when your message has been stomped on by. Uh, the powers that be irresponsibly and unfairly. Exactly. Um, and I, I try typically to approach it from <clears throat> the standpoint of, hey, if you want to get faster, if you want to burn off excess body fat, if you want to prevent injuries, if you want to perform your best, what a deal. And then present the information and if they don't want to take it, then fine. Uh, my experience is they'll eventually come back, um, many of them, because whatever they're doing isn't working. Aha. Uh-huh. So you, we talk about not, not addressing someone until they're ready to receive. So maybe when you get to that point of desperation, uh, your, your uh, reptilian brain will relax a little bit. You'll listen a little more carefully your, those emotions and all those things that kind of sent you down a, the, the crazy path buying the latest, greatest uh, magical product, now you're going to be a little more receptive due to, due to pain and suffering, I suppose. That's the key word, pain, and, and suffering is, is, is a part of it. And yes, that, that gets people's attention. Not, not that they're in pain. They almost feel they should be in pain. But when, when, and I've experienced this in practice, and it's really gotten me into literally into all sports because I've I've worked in all sports, and this you know the same story uh, is applicable to all the sports. When 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 I'm in that sport, and somebody in the media says, "Hey, how'd you get into motorsports?" and you know it, it, it was the same thing. Uh, I had a driver who who had pain, or in, in the case of motorsports, I had a driver who uh, had some neurological problems um, that had to do with his eyes, and I was able to correct it. Uh, in in sports, uh, you know, I saw this young young kid who had uh, leg pain chronic leg pain and and he wanted to race in the upcoming weekend and I was able to f- fix his leg pain and he was able to race and he won 
that guy was was Mark Allen. And and only then does someone like that start paying attention. Hey, he he fixed my leg pain. What else can he do for me? And that so that gets their attention. Uh, and then we have the the problem of uh, the lack of consensus on things like the refined vegetable oils, where there's a lot of data that's saying these are they're killing many many uh, people in the in in the modern world uh, due to direct association with cancer and dysfunction at the cellular level. But we're still going into Whole Foods and buying organic canola oil. So why haven't we achieved consensus on some of these big ticket diet items that? seem to the enlightened to be so obvious, but still, I know you mentioned the money behind it and the marketing dollars, but it seems like, whew, um, it's about time to kind of topple over these last remaining pillars of uh, flawed dietary advice and, and knowledge that we've taken to be true for so long. You're right. <clears throat> and and that was one of the, the points of, of my uh, opinion piece to the, the journal that I, I submitted this System 1, System 2 thinking article to about health and fitness is that it, it's, it's time we, we stop playing these games. Um, and it is about money. Um, there is a scientific consensus regarding the use of vegetable oils. There has been, <clears throat> um, gosh, I, I remember... Lecturing about this in the early 80s, I think. So it's not new, <clears throat> and there is a consensus. We could, we could sit in front of a, a scientific audience and say, here's why vegetable oils are, are bad, and, uh, or write a, a, a review article and have it submitted to the New England Journal of Medicine. And it would, it would be accepted because the scientific information the the backup for for what you're trying to say is all there and it's been there for a long long time um and it is about money it's about politics which is about money it's about power which is about money it's about corporate greed which is about money um and if i'm <clears throat> if i'm selling you something and suddenly we find out it's bad i'm going to keep selling it to you I mean, look at what the tobacco company did. They knew decades ago that they were going to have problems in certain parts of the world, like in the U.S. Um, and so they diversified and they bought, you know, junk food companies and, um, you know, then then they, they weren't hurt as much. But the fact is today, um, there are more cigarettes sold than ever. Tobacco is very popular worldwide. And the fact that uh, you know, they had this big lawsuit in the U.S., and so in the U.S. you can't advertise tobacco in magazines or on radio and TV. Um, it's out there. It's out there. It's in movies. It's on the Internet. Um, yeah, we don't have Joe Camel, uh, but we still have Joe Camel. It's, it's all out there, and kids are still smoking. So uh, it, it, it's all about money. And um, uh, do we as a society allow that to happen? Well, we have been allowing it to happen, and now we're in a big mess. And what are we going to do about it? I don't I – don't, I, I have some answers, but I don't know uh, when the, the problem will be addressed. It's certainly not being addressed now. Well, let's say the the well-intentioned, open-minded consumer is trying to do the best they can and is trying to decide between uh, a vegetarian eating pattern and this this primal paleo, low-carb, keto stuff uh, and is is trying to be thoughtful and and go to the bookstore and look at uh, the the, the prominent uh, authors and people that have uh, engendered respect in their careers but we kind of head to um, some forks in the road, and I'm still I'm still wondering uh, how to resolve that when I'm you know, I'm sitting down at the 
family dinner table for Thanksgiving and the conversation goes to this direction or that direction. And someone says, well, yeah, there's this article that I said that, that I just read that says, uh, uh, eggs are, are, are bad and that cholesterol will clog your arteries. I mean, it's still, it's still floating around there right in our faces with these documentaries that are coming out where the, I mean, the doctor was on camera saying that eggs will kill you. And he's, he's a prominent physician with a long record and a, a respected name in the yeah, world. It's sad. And that's why I don't do those Thanksgiving things or any holiday things. But, but for the first time I wrote an article that I think just recently came out on my website, uh, maybe last week about eggs. And and for the first, and I've been writing articles on eggs my entire career. I began doing it when I was a student um, about the benefits of eggs. And for the first time in my career, I was able to skip over the whole argument about why eggs are not bad and why they are healthy. And I just said, you know, now that the egg scare is over, here are here are some great reasons to eat eggs and um, hopefully, you know, hopefully the tide has turned with eggs along with salt. I have an article on salt coming out soon. Um, And, and, you know, red meat um, and, and, and this and that there's, there's pretty good consensus for, you know, when, when we look at all the, the things that we're confronted with when it comes to health and fitness. You know, what foods do we eat? What do we avoid? What do we do when, you know, before we exercise? What do we do during a, a long trail run? Uh, what about shoes? You know, what, what kind of training should I do? Should I run really hard every day because that's what my neighbor does? Um, for for most of those issues there's a pretty good consensus on a on a scientific and a clinical level um the the confusion is that you know we have a lot of things lingering on for various reasons one is the money issue um the other is um it tradition is hard to break to 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 say red meat, what what's so unique about red meat? Chicken is the worst kind of meat to eat. If you want to if you want to bash meat, <laughs> chicken is the worst kind of meat. It has a the highest level of arachidonic acid, and arachidonic acid, um, uh, you know, comes down into the inflammatory pathway. We need inflammation, but we don't need a lot of it. But arachidonic acid is the primary driver of inflammation and when that becomes chronic that's the first stage of disease and and impairment physical impairment so what is it about red meat you know like okay now pork is okay because it's white um veal those little baby cows you know veal is okay because it's white so there you know there's this incredible tradition which is always tied in with emotion red meat elicits an incredible emotional response in almost everybody, whether you eat red meat every day or or not. Um, but there's a there's a pretty good consensus. Uh, if if we had to sit down, uh, we scientists and we clinicians, and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make you know the top ten recommendations for the world. Because we're going down the tubes, we're we're halfway down the tube. You know, when 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 uh, you know most of the world is over fat, and and the condition of excess body fat is the first stage of <clears throat> all the chronic diseases and all your intermediary problems: high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Um, you know, blood sugar impairments and so forth. <clears throat> um, we need to we need to do something fast. And so here, you you know, you guys sit in a room and come up with you know the top ten or twenty things that 
that people as a guideline that people can do and and still be able to say, okay, everyone has to personalize this. And so if you don't want to eat um, certain foods, that's okay because you can get your nutrients from, from alternatives. Um, but the fact that there is a consensus there is ignored uh, by most people. They're, they're willing to latch, you know, that's that system one amphibian brain thing. They're willing to latch on to tradition and emotion. And, um, that's not, that's not how we want to do it. If, if we're trying to personalize our life so that we're the healthiest we can be and the fittest we can be. So this personalizing and, and trying things out for yourself, uh, I think one of the problems when it comes to considering a dietary transition, especially going against the advice of your physician, because generally speaking, the certified nutritionists and the family physicians or the physicians that touch the end, end user a lot are still looking at a blood report saying your LDL is too high and they're sending you home with the order to not consume eggs or red meat. And then uh, when, you, when you try things out for yourself, you can't tell for 20 years that the oil that you're pouring over everything is going to kill you. So we don't have that, that immediate instant gratification to change behavior, such as when we slow down our workouts and then six weeks later we're uh, setting PRs because we've moderated the stress response of our crazy training schedule. That will stick and then Mark Allen will keep coming back to you and asking you for more guidance. But with that diet part, what do we do with the, the idea that, A, we're still receiving uh, tainted advice from people who shouldn't be giving advice, and then, B, that we can't tell right away in some cases? I know we can start losing weight if we cut, cut our carbohydrate intake, but on those other big-picture items, what does the, the consumer um, do? This is where the system breaks down even more. It, it's that when we go to the so-called experts – who are no longer experts and ask them for advice, which they shouldn't give because they're not experts because they're over fat, they're smoking, they're unhealthy. And they're going to, they're going to tell the patient, here's how you become healthy. Well, that doesn't work. And more important is the fact that a lot of these professionals, a lot of these practitioners, are influenced the same way consumers are influenced by articles in the newspaper, by advertisers. Advertisers are very smart. They spend a lot of money to convince you uh, about whatever, whatever they want to convince you about to sell their product. And, and, and doctors are not immune to that. You know, the, the word doctor means teacher. And I, I took that very serious. And I needed to teach myself. I needed to, to learn how to be healthy. And then I, my job was really to teach people. And uh, there are not a lot of doctors who teach people today. There are not, not a lot of practitioners who teach people. Everything is cookbook. And so if, if, you're, uh, if you're over fat, if your blood pressure is high, if your, um, uh, you know, your brain is starting to 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 fade, you're not remembering things. Um, you know, doctors don't. First of all, they don't have any time to explain things to you, even if they did understand what needed to be uh, recommended or what needed to be tried. Everything is cookbook, um, almost. Almost everything is cookbook in healthcare now. So you 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 diagnose something, and so you come up with a name, and then you treat the name. But you know what? There's a person there. There's a person behind that name. You're not treating diabetes. You're treating Joe and Susie. Um, and uh, every diabetic is different. They're all individuals. And so you need to personalize their program. And you really can't physically and mentally do that for a patient. But what you can do is help them do it for themselves. 
And that whole process has completely fallen apart. Hardly anybody does it anymore. Even the alternative care uh, folks, you know, at one time, uh, alternative medicine, which is really a terrible name, uh, it was come up, it, it, it was developed the name by, you know, by medicine to imply that, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to do, you know, these guys have an alternative to good health care. <laughs> so they're alternative lifestyles. Oh, you've chosen an alternative <laughs> lifestyle. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, and so, but you know, alternative medicine has really as a, as a whole, as a group has sold out and we can, we can hit all the, the, the professions, uh, since, um, you know, people want to pick on me. Okay. So chiropractors and acupuncturists and, um, uh, nutritionists, the nutritionist in the alternative, so-called alternative nutritionists, as opposed to the ones who are employed by hospitals, um, who, who also use cookbook remedies, but they've also gone the cookbook route because it's, it's easier and it's quicker. And so when a patient comes in to see you, uh, and they have, you know, they have some, some body pain. Well, you, you offer a particular service and you treat them based on the service you render, not on what their needs are. And of course there are exceptions. There's some great clinicians out there. Uh, unfortunately there are not too many. And, uh, most, most practitioners know what they're going to do before they even see the patient. And that's, and that's just sad. And, and you add that to the fact that um, patients are not being educated properly. Um, and it's a disaster. It's only going to get worse. Right. The time, doctor-patient time is cutting down. And I guess we're, uh, we're too busy to really dig in and, and read and educate ourselves today. We're too busy with instant gratification, social media, things like that. I feel like it's um, it, it's affected my own personal life where, you know, I used to, I used to read voraciously. I have a stack of books on the shelf. I read them all. And now I have a stack of books by my bedside, but I, I don't seem to be getting through them too quickly because there's too much other stimulation in my life. And I'm, I'm exhausted and, uh, can't pick up a book like I used to. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 um, it, it's overwhelming. It's, I mean, I'm, I don't have a TV or radio. I don't look at the news. I don't, um, I don't know what, I don't know what day it is half the time unless, you know, I, I have, I have notices that I have a podcast with Brad at nine thirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what day it is either. Cause obviously we were supposed to record last week and the, the morning time zone came and went and I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I, it's not that I forgot about this long, long awaited podcast with, with Dr. Phil Maffetone, I just didn't know what day it was. That was my, that was where well, I was at that time. So I guess that's, that's not as bad as completely forgetting about our podcast, but I woke up, I thought it was Thursday morning. I think I went out and played my beloved morning speed golf round and then got back and I'm like, oh my God, it's Friday. Ah, <laughs> oh. but on that note, uh, the, I, I, you're doing this for a defined purpose, which is to, I guess, reduce the stress in your life and reduce the stimulation, which is, uh, has negative health consequences. You're not just trying to be an off the grid dork who's making a, making a point and sending, sending photos via Instagram of your, your solar panels. You're disengaging from modern media for, for a specific exactly. purpose. Exactly. Um, I'm doing it because I, I want to reduce stress. And, and that's one of the things that, um, anyone who understands stress, which we define as as being physical, biochemical, and mental, emotional in nature, um, does. They recommend reducing stress. And there are a lot of stresses people can, can eliminate or reduce. And then what happens when you do that, the body is now healthier and more fit, and now you're able to cope, you're able to adapt to all the other stresses, which we may not be able to change. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I do it for selfish reasons. At the same time, I want to be able to explain how somebody can, can do those things. And, um, and it's, it, it's really, you know, the stress, the stress thing is really what it's all about. Uh, if, if we, if we, you know, I'm, I'm into, I'm into the big picture. Uh, sometimes we have to whittle down and say, well, here's, you know, here's the mechanism that's going on in the knee joint when you get injured, but there's a big picture. And that's a that's a really nice place to start, because when you see the big picture, you see what are the things that I want to devote time and energy on to help myself to help become more healthy and become a, a you know, a more fit person, improve my natural human performance, whatever that may be. Um, and stress, stress would be in a general uh, in a general sense, stress would be the only thing we, we need to worry about by definition, because, um, all the physical things that you and I have talked about over the years in terms of training, uh, how do we run a better marathon, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we've talked about regarding food and, uh, nutrition and all the, the bad, um, oils and hydrogenated fat and, well, now they call them trans fats, uh, uh, synthetic vitamins, all, you know, all this. We can all throw that into this thing called stress because there are physical stresses that we need to deal with. There are biochemical stresses, which is where nutrition is and food. And there are mental, emotional stresses, which is um, our, our education or our miseducation. Uh, pain is there too. Pain is something that is an emotion, and and so when we put all that together, we say, well, now I'm really confused. Now I'm overwhelmed because um, if I make a list of all my stresses, which which I recommend people do, um, I, it, it's unlimited. I mean, I've got you know I'm up to 57 physical stresses I'm under. I've got you know 107 uh, biochemical stresses. And I've got all these mental emotional stresses, many of which I really can't even define, but I know they're so what do I do? Um, it, it's it's and everybody's waiting for the answer. <laughs> I don't know the answer because it's individual, it's very personal. Um, I can give you some ideas uh, from a from a physiological standpoint. When we look at things like, well, we, 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 we brought this up before, you know, what are the causes of chronic illness? You know, we don't, we don't, we're no longer dying of infectious diseases. We're dying of chronic illness. Most people um, today die of chronic disease. And virtually all those diseases are preventable. Everybody knows that. Scientists know that. Clinicians know that. Um, you look look up on the CDC website. You know these are preventable conditions, which means they don't have to happen. And so, um, what do they have in common? What are all these chronic diseases? Cancer. You know all the cardiovascular diseases, heart attack, stroke, etc. Um, diabetes. Alzheimer's, you know, those are the top, um, the top uh, causes of death in the Western world. Um, what are the? Is there some common denominator there? You know, everyone makes it seem like, well, you know, you 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 got cardiovascular disease here, and then you got cancer over there, and so if you have uh, both of these, you go to one doctor for one, and the other doctor for another. In in end stage situations that that makes perfect sense and having a specialist is really wonderful however why are we all waiting around to go to a specialist when we could be more proactive um but what is the you know what is the common denominator it, it has to do with being over fat and that that's pretty clear from a scientific standpoint excess body fat is associated with increased chronic inflammation which is that first stage of or the the 
the, the overfat is the, really the first stage of chronic disease. But chronic inflammation and then carbohydrate intolerance, uh, insulin resistance. You know, that's the triad that, that is the beginning of the process. And then that trickles down to elevated uh, LDL cholesterol and uh, elevated blood sugar and um, creeping up uh, blood pressure and et cetera, et cetera. And then in the end, that leads to a diagnosis of disease, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, Alzheimer's. And, and so if you want to attack those problems, you know, don't look for the, the vitamins that help diabetes. Don't look for the, you know, the, the magic heart diet because there isn't one. They're all, they're all tied in with the, you know, the, the causation of all those conditions, which is, you know, the, the chronic disease, you know, is this wide spectrum of individual illnesses and if you trace it back to the top, where it all begins, it's with excess body fat. So the triad is chronic inflammation, carbohydrate intolerance, insulin resistance, and then that's uh, leading us down the road to your term of overfat. If you can uh, describe well, that. Well, the, the the overfat occurs first, um, and and uh, I, I had an interesting discussion with one of the journals where I submitted one of my overfat papers and um uh and it it was about uh this issue of does excess body fat contribute or or cause chronic inflammation and carbohydrate intolerance which is also called insulin resistance um and I think I think today we could say it does. I think when when you talk to scientists, they want to go out of the way to be objective, and so I used to call it a triad. But the overfat, excess body fat does produce inflammatory chemicals, so there is a connection there. The, you know, it's the chicken and the egg thing. It doesn't really matter because we're going to do the same thing to treat it and to prevent it, which is avoid refined carbohydrate like sugar and and all the junk food that is allowed to be promoted to to everyone on the planet including babies and when you start seeing uh i i did a, a paper uh with a colleague on the overfat pandemic in india and when we think of india we think of people that are starving well, 80.5% of Indian adults are overfat today. What, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, the Western world sent them junk food for decades. And that's how they all of a sudden become overfat. And, of course, when you're in India, um, you see all the fast food chains uh, on all the street corners, just like you do in the US. And um, so, you know, avoiding that food, avoiding the junk food, primarily the, the oils are bad, the processed meats are bad, the chemicals they put in these things are bad, but the refined flour, which turns to sugar very quickly, and the sugar itself uh, has to be eliminated because that's what makes people over fat. And if you want to reduce your body fat, you, you, you're never going to do it successfully and permanently unless you get rid of the, the sugar. Now, when you say over fat, to be distinguished between uh, the visible obesity... The, the, the Indian study I did, um, we, we found that uh, uh, 40% of the normal weight non-obese people, adults, were over fat. So you could be normal weight and non-obese. And in the West, it's, it's only about 20%. That was one of the interesting things um, discovered there. But um, you can be 
normal weight and non-obese and still have excess body fat. And there's, you know, there's, uh, and, and the, the best way to determine this is to measure your waist. And, and uh, your waist should be less than half your height. It's really, it's really quite simple. This is a very scientific way to evaluate. You can go out and get your DEXA scans, but you're going to have to get them on a regular basis. That doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, the calipers are iffy. The water weight is is uh, very accurate, but uh, nobody nobody does. Almost no one does those anymore. I used to have somebody come to my office and and literally put together a water bath where we'd weigh people. Um, and, um, the, and, and I've been following the waste measuring, uh, techniques over the years. There've been, there've been a number of them, um, the waist to hip ratio and all this stuff. And really the, the best one today, uh, the most scientific, most accurate assessment in all individuals, um, because some of the, um, the different ethnicities, uh, affect, um, the determinations of, of body fat. So it, this eliminates that. And you can also use it for children. It's basically that your waist should be less than half your height. And, um, if it's not, you're over fat. And that's because male or female, the unwanted storage in the midsection is, is different than the distribution across the body? Well, it is different for sure. Um, the, the addition of body fat um, over the years with people uh, is more easily measured in the waist because there's a prevalence for that mechanism to happen. Now, what you bring up is is another very important thing, which is that belly fat is the worst kind, almost the worst kind of body fat to have um, because it's metabolically active. It it produces more inflammatory chemicals. It has a negative impact on our uh, physical, biochemical, and mental, emotional body. Um, the other bad area of body fat is related embryologically and that's the fat around the heart and you know once in a while the the discussion about fat around, around the heart is a little bit complicated and so you don't read about it very often but i i've talked about it a lot and the fact is if you want to know what you have around the heart in terms of uh, do I have a lot of fat around my heart? Should I be concerned? Just look at your belly because what goes on in the belly goes on around the heart in terms of fat deposition. So you you can get a pretty good idea about fat around the heart by looking at your belly and measuring uh, your waist and making sure your waist is less than half your height. Uh, Phil, what about this concept that the accumulation of belly fat is a slippery slope, being that if you if you start to add a little as you get advanced in the years or whatever, t toning down your commitment to healthy eating and exercise, uh, a little will manifest into more because of the inflammatory aspects of that type of body fat? That's that, that triad we talked about earlier. It, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, whether whether excess body fat is the first thing that happens is almost irrelevant because excess body fat begins to develop and there's a vicious cycle between that and chronic inflammation and carbohydrate intolerance or insulin resistance. And, and that goes round and round. And now that speeds up the depositing of body fat. Now you're, now you're in that excess body fat state it becomes more evident in the in the belly and then you know it's around the heart as well which adversely affects the heart um so yeah it's uh it it becomes a spiral and there is a normal uh deposition of 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 more fat 
in the central part of the body around the belly. Um, however, that normality does not include the overfat state. It just means that, you know, we, as we age, we have, um, we lose a little bit of muscle. We shouldn't lose too much if we're physically active. Um, and as we lose muscle, we have um, slightly more body fat, but it, it should never be to the point of being overfat. Again, it, it you know, if we monitor our our waist, it should always be below half our height. And if we're concerned, and we want to make some quick. Uh, redirection, turn things around, uh, what would be the triad of things to do with our diet or or our, our daily activity, physical exercise? How would you attack that? Uh, I know you want to do everything personally, but if we're listening, uh, if the audience is listening, what are what are your big ticket items that give you the most return on investment? Well, we, again, we can we can look at, you know, what are the physical things I can do with with uh, exercise and training and heart rate and blah, blah, blah. What, what dietary things should I do? There's so many of those, you know, pro, what about protein? What about fats and oils? What about carbohydrates, fruits and vegetables? Um, what about vitamin supplements? Uh, and then all the mental, emotional things that um, are floating around out there that come and go, uh, which have have a lot of hype attached to them as well. And, and, and it's overwhelming. It's confusing. What, you know, what, what's a consumer to do? What am I to do? Uh, where do I go? How do I start? It's really pretty simple. You start at the top and you, you, you get rid of refined carbohydrate and sugar. And what I, what I learned long ago is that I didn't want people to just believe what I say. Some of them, some of them were fine doing that, but uh, I want them to experience what it's like to be without sugar. And so I developed this thing called the two-week test, whereby you test yourself over a two-week period, where you eliminate all the the refined carbohydrates. So no no flour. Um, or corn products, no sugar, no added sugars. And then after two weeks, you you sort of assess and then reassess yourself. So uh, make a list of, you know, pretend you're, you're sitting in front of a doctor who's actually listening to what you're saying. You, you, you know, what are your, what, tell me all the problems you're having. Well, I'm hungry a lot. I'm over fat. I, um, I'm fatigued. Um, I don't sleep. Well, and, and, and whatever. You have all these things. And now after two weeks in this two-week test, you, you reassess. Okay, now I'm not so hungry. I, uh, I'm sleeping better. I'm, uh, my energy is really good um, or whatever. And then you say, okay, so now I know that eating junk food carbohydrates is, is bad which everybody already knows, but now you've experienced it. Now you know what it feels like to be without it. Now you say, okay, uh, have I damaged my metabolism of eating this junk for years to the point where now I can't eat unlimited amounts of natural carbohydrates? So let me experiment uh, with some natural carbohydrates and let me see what my limit is. You know, can I really eat 10 pieces of fruit a day? Can I really have, um, you know, beans and brown rice uh, as, a, as a meal? And you, you may find that you, you cannot. You, you, you've got some limits on the natural carbohydrates as well. If you're young enough, you may not find that that's the case. So um, that's personalizing a primary cause of many of these conditions and when you go through that you will become a, a healthier person and a more fit person and if you happen to also be a runner you're going to run a better 10k you're going to run a better marathon your injuries are going to tend to go away you're um you know gosh you get rid of 
you get rid of uh, even a little bit of body fat and running economy can improve significantly. So um, that's that's where we we start. Right. And oh, my gosh, the the results that I've experienced from uh, telling people to do the two week test for, for many, many years now, it's so simple. People can agree to do it. It's not a long time period. And people literally will come back and say, I lost 11 pounds. I lost seven pounds. And we know now that some of that weight loss is body fat and some of it excess body fat. And some of it is just the reduction in inflammation from taking these toxic foods out of the diet, even for a brief uh, period of time. And just to be clear, when you say, uh, talk about the natural carbohydrates and reintroducing them, what you're trying to do here is uh, determine when these unpleasant symptoms come back at what level of uh, carbohydrate consumption. So if you hit, you know, 12 servings of fruit a day after your two week test, uh, you might find that you're tired after the meals, you have gas bloating, digestive problems, the things that we're so accustomed to in a high carbohydrate diet. And then you kind of fine tune from there. Like, did, did I capture that? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yep. You, you, you just, you know, you're determining your level of insulin resistance. And, um, that's, that's not difficult to do and and then learning your tolerance for natural carbohydrates um falls into place uh fairly easy and and especially if you have symptoms like hunger and fatigue and um intestinal bloating gas and bloating you know these these things happen quick and when you eliminate the foods that cause them those symptoms change pretty quick. And so, um, and you can use weight as well if you lose, uh, you know, a few pounds over the two week test period. And then you start eating um, natural carbohydrates, which are supposed to be really healthy. Well, they may not be for you because you're too insulin resistant. So when you start experimenting with those, all of a sudden you gain a couple of pounds and you're fatigue and your hunger comes back and you say, aha, that's excessive for me. I'm going to cut back to having only, you know, two fruits a day or uh, whatever, you know, that it, it just gets very individual. And, you know, it, it a, a lot of this has to do with instincts and intuition. Um, you know, for millions of years, humans n- knew what to eat. Of course, we didn't have the the confusion we have today, but uh, today we don't know what to eat. The average person uh, is completely confused, and their education is is from the the newspapers and online ads, and and so you know we we get confused, and so personalizing it is figuring out how to do things and really what you're doing is developing instincts and intuition well certainly if you clean up your diet you start to correct some of those desensitizations of your palate and your addiction to sugar and what what you think tastes good and what you think is is sweet enough for your starbucks drink do you want seven pumps or six or five or four or three or two or one or zero it's time to realize that you know the lifelong habits have have messed us up so that we're uh, sugar fiends really yeah and that's uh surprise surprise because when we do this when we when we eliminate the these bad foods our brains work better and that's where the the instincts and intuition intuition are are located uh we we we're able to to use logic we're able to um sense that um a big plate of uh Sweet potatoes, which have been genetically modified to be much sweeter, but now they have marshmallows in them. Um, you just sense that, hey, this this doesn't look as good as it used to. 
Oh, is the marshmallows like a common Thanksgiving dish? Someone else said that to me, and I'm like, "What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> am I am I out of the loop?" I'm I'm continually reminded that it still does exist. I I, I remember growing up as a kid eating it, and I'm reminded that um, people still do that. And I I, I uh, let's not go there. I mean, wow, uh, unless what a you... destruction! <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Pick, pick through the uh, the ice caps, the, the, the icebergs there, and get your sweet potatoes. Yeah, and then what the media does is they say, you know, turkey has a lot of tryptophan, and that makes you sleepy after you eat it. Oh, you mean it's not the four pieces of pie and the marshmallows and it, all the other sweetened foods, the, the stuffing uh, that's made from junk food? It's not all that? So it's just, you know, it's just, it's, an, it's insane. Ah, the sound bites. So, Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder... (laughs) It's it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. (laughs) There's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so, she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. (laughs) It's my pleasure. 